what do the living have to do or have in common with the dead? Why are we, we who are alive, concerning ourselves with the dead? What did Elijah do when he, faced, when he was faced with death? What did he do? Did he go, oh, poor little fella. Go get the shovel, mama. We gotta bury this widow's son. What did he do when he was faced with death? He raised him from the dead. Get up. He gave him life. Guys, was Elijah content to bury the dead? No way. Elijah was not content to bury the dead and neither was his disciple Elisha. Why bury the dead when you can make them alive again? Right? That's kind of true. So Elijah proclaimed by his actions that he believed in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of death. Hmm. That may have been him speaking in the context of Elijah. To let death take care of death. You who are alive, why don't you go take care of the living? Don't worry about the dead. Besides, Jesus is actually making a contrast here between raising the dead and burying the dead. Which one are you? Are you about raising the dead or burying the dead? Oh, gee, I don't want to be about... I want to raise the dead. Okay, that's the kingdom of God. Well, I need to bury the dead. So you're content to let death be dead forever? I guess so, we'll bury him. It's just sort of close the chapter. No, you'll be about raising the dead. I think that's what he means. And that's why he says, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about death. It's about life. Okay, cool. Um, what does no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God mean? Okay, this is really cool. Elisha is doing what? He's plowing. Elijah, who's the old man. <laughs> so weird. I would love to see this. Walks up beside him and goes, and he throws his coat on him and just keeps walking. And his coat goes and lands on Elisha, who's plowing. He's probably thinking, practical joker. You know, this happens every other week. I'm just plowing and somebody throws their coat on me. No, he's got to be thinking, what in the world? But what's funny is, the text says, Elisha, as soon as he passed by him, he threw his cloak on him and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Who had, he didn't stop, by the way. He just kept walking. Boop, throw his coat on him, kept walking. He runs after him. Oh, he says, let me kiss my father and mother and then I'll follow you. What? what the, how does this mean follow me? I don't know. Good question. I'd maybe search that out. But Elisha's plowing. So if Jesus in Luke 9 is drawing heavily on an Elijah metaphor, what should Jesus' disciples be doing? Plowing. What is plowing? Do you ever think of what plowing even is? Getting a field ready for planting what? And what do seeds turn into? Plants and crops and trees. And those trees ought to bear fruit. That is the whole purpose. Elijah asks to say farewell to those of his household before he begins following Jesus. Now, Jesus would be disciple. He also asks to say farewell to those in his house before following the master. Elijah says, 
Go ahead. Jesus permits the man to go, but Western Christianity always has Jesus warning this guy that he better not go lest he not be fit for the kingdom of heaven. But do you realize in Luke 9, nowhere does Jesus say, don't go? All he says is, whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom. I think Jesus recognized the situation. Hey, this is Elijah Elisha here. And this guy says, can I go home and kiss my mother and father goodbye? And Jesus says, absolutely, go for it. Just remember what Elisha did. That's all he said to him. That's the Mark Dean translation. Of course, go home and say goodbye to your mom and your dad. But remember Elisha. Remember what he did. And the guy says, you got it. Now that was rabbi speak. And we're like, we think Jesus didn't even let him go. He just said, ah, you're not fit for the kingdom if that's what you're going to, you know, got to say goodbye to your family. I'm against saying bye to families, by the way. I'm Jesus. It's like, what? That doesn't even make sense. You're nice. Can I please say bye to my mom? No, you can't say goodbye to your mom and dad. What do you think this is? It's like, geez, I just wanted to say goodbye and Jesus yells at him. Not at all. Jesus says, Elisha, Elijah, just do what Elisha did. What did Elisha do when he ran after him and said, please let me go home and say goodbye to my family. Then he goes, what does he do? How many oxen? Nope. There's 12 yoke of oxen. How many in a yoke? There's 24 oxen. These are 2,000 pound animals. 24, 2,000 pound animals each. He goes and butchers them. How long's he gone for? We think he's like, okay, y'all eat, have good. He's gone for weeks, I think. He's several days anyways. He's butchering these oxen. Then what does he do with them? Boils their flesh. How does he make the fire? I need, I need a fuel source, darn it. What am I going to get? It's right there in the text. What does he burn? He burns the yoke, the wooden yoke that yokes the oxen together. Those are massive pieces of wood. So Elijah takes a hatchet and he hacks all the wooden, how many, how many wooden yoke? 12 of them. How many, what kind of bonfire does that produce? 12 massive pieces of wood. And all 24 times 48, what, thousand pounds? 50,000 pounds of animal meat? And it says, and he fed all the people. I want to go, where'd he get the people? <laughs> it was just Elisha and Elijah. And he fed, well, those of Elisha's household. He fed them the oxen. 50, 60, 80, 100 people. They ate the oxen. That would be like you, like, I'm done with my car. I'm not going to drive anymore. Let's eat it. <laughs> what? Your car? Yeah, I'm going to eat it. So nobody drives it anymore. Elisha kills what's driving his plow and they eat it. <laughs> so what is this picture? What is this a picture of? What do you think, Riley? It's like, it's affirming that he's not going to go back because what he had is gone now. He can't. He, he couldn't go back if he tried, huh? And I think that is the most beautiful picture that Elisha said, I am going to follow you. So loyal and so committed am I that I'm going to burn 
every possibility of me trying to go back to my old life just in case this doesn't work out. For Elisha, there's no just in case. For Elisha, there's no, well, plan B is, it's just plan A. And Jesus says, remember Elisha. Does this guy want to go back and say goodbye to his family? Sure he does. Does Jesus have a problem with that? Not at all. What Jesus has a problem is, are you going to pad your bets? Are you going to make sure that if plan A doesn't work out, you got a plan B? Because we're American, right? And if plan B doesn't work out, we got plan C. And if plan C doesn't work out, we've got like through plan L. That's what we do. And Jesus says, there is no plan B. You follow me or you don't. That's it. That's what he's telling the guy. Remember, you are going to forever be different once you start to follow. You cannot go back to your old life. It doesn't mean you can't see your wife and your kids. It means you're not going to be the same person. Okay. Um, here's an interesting story that happens involving, involving both Elijah and Elisha. Here's the chariots of fire. Listen to this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. <laughs> but okay, if you see me as I'm being taken away from you, you get your wish. But if you can't see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. They're walking along together, talking. And these horses of fire, these chariots of fire come and separate them, this blaze of flames. Now Elisha is here and Elijah is there. You see, and then this, these flames are here. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind. What's a whirlwind? A tornado! into heaven. He didn't ride a chariot. He didn't ride a horse. He rode a tornado, a dust devil into heaven. And Elisha saw it. What does that mean? He gets the blessing. He gets the wish. How much? A double portion. And he says, my father, my father. That's significant. That's Hebrew right there. Why did he call him my father, my father? He's not his father. In Hebrew, who always receives the double portion? Which son? The firstborn son, the heir of the father. When he asked Elijah, let a double portion of your spirit be on me, what did he just ask him in picture? Will you be my father? And can I be your heir? That's why Elijah said, what you've asked is a hard thing. I can't give that. Only God can. Oh! <gasps> If you see me, you'll get it. So he gets it. So he says, my father, my father. He is seeing him as his father. And now I'm the son that's supposed to carry on the legacy. Can you imagine if we saw Jesus Christ like that? You are my, my father and I want to be your, the heir of your estate. I want to carry on your name. I want to carry on your legacy. I want to do what you did. I want to bless people like you did. I want to raise the dead. I want to heal the sick. I want to cast out the demons. I want to be just like you. Jesus, instead of being content to hear a chapel about him for 10 minutes and then go back to my life the way it was. So, guys, he asked for a double portion. 
He asked to be his heir. Do you know how many miracles Elijah is credited with doing in his lifetime? Take a wild guess. Somewhere between 7 and 23. He's credited. Scholars debate 14 to 16. But count some things as miracles where others, no. 14 miracles Elijah is credited with doing. Those can be studied in 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 2. Now, based on the double portion inheritance, double portion of Elijah's spirit being given to Elisha, can you guess how many miracles Elisha is credited with during his life? It's not. It's only 27. We got so close. Like, it's so cool. I was so disappointed when I saw that. He did 14, and I'm like, well, Elisha should have 28 then, right? Double portion. You count them, there's 27. And then (laughs) I came across this story. Listen to this. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band. This is a band that goes like this. And they come after you with knives and spears and and bows and arrows, and they're going to kill you. A marauding band was seen, and the guy they were going to bury, they chucked into the grave. They went, whoop, and they threw him into the grave, and they took off. And it says, this is a story in the Kings. As soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he sprang back to life. (laughs) And he stood on his feet. So how many miracles did Elisha? He ends up doing 28. One post-humus. Post-mortem. One after his death. He gets a miracle after his death, so he gets his 28 after all. Isn't that the coolest thing? But when we start to weave Jesus in as a thread between Elijah and Elisha, then I think y'all's minds are going to get blown. Elijah began his ministry in a drought-filled, barren wasteland and was ministered to by God's messengers. Who were they? Ravens. Ravens. That's okay. You're good. You're good. Um, Let me say that again. Elijah begins his ministry in the desert, a barren wasteland, and God's messengers minister to him. They take care of him. And these are ravens. I love this. It's so cool. The Gospel of Mark records that Jesus began his ministry in the desert, also with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1. Matthew, Mark. Mark 1. We studied this in 8th grade boys' Bible a lot. But you didn't hear this because I told you guys, you want to know this? Take Hebrew roots. And you're like, oh man, that's three years away. (laughs) All right. I asked my eighth grade boys, I want you to figure out what verse 12 and 13 mean. So they all have to go home and they all have to figure out what verse 12 and 13 mean. And in about eight, nine years of doing this so far, nobody has figured it out. Mark Mark 1. 
verses 12 and 13. I think that I figured it out. Now, I'm not saying I'm better than my eighth grade students, not at all. But I think God showed me something really cool. Do you know what the word in Hebrew is for messenger? Remember, God sent messengers in the form of ravens to Elijah to minister to him. Do you know what the uh, word in Hebrew is for messenger? <laughs> Raven, no. It is malach. Say malach. malach. It's a great word, malach. Malach means messenger. A messenger or a malach is different than a shaliach. A shaliach is a sent one. It's where we get the word apostle. The disciples actually were sent out by Jesus and they, from that, that moment, began to refer to them as shlachim. Shlachim, they were now sent ones. Now this is weird because, I mean, this is really cool because it's gonna fit together in just a second. Messengers minister, serve, provide for. Apostles proclaim, preach, and teach. Both are sent from God, but they have different roles. Okay, messengers, apostles. Malachim, shalachim. The question is, were the ravens sent by God to feed Elijah? Were they sent by God to feed Elijah, the ravens? Yes or no? Yes, yes they were. Were they malachim or shalachim? Were they messengers or apostles? Did they preach and teach? Or did they provide for and serve? They were malachim. Do you know what the word for in Hebrew is for angel? Ah, oh, good guess. Malach, it's the same exact word. Not only is it the same word in Hebrew, malach means messenger and angel. So every single time that you come across the word angel in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, it's the word malach. Malach is the word angel. When you come across the word messenger and king so-and-so sent a messenger to king so-and-so, he sent a malach to so-and-so. It's the same word. Do you know what the word for angel is in Greek? In Greek, we'll say Greek, it is angelos. That means angel. In Greek, do you know what the word for messenger is? It is angelos. Whoa. Angeloi, that's where we get angels from. Now, everybody, please read the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verse 12. In the light of Elijah the prophet. Uh, he was with the wild animals and uh, Malachim were serving him. And the Malachim were serving him. Maybe, guys, maybe, just maybe, we're supposed to understand Mark 1, 12, and 13 in light of 1 Kings 17. Both Jesus and Elijah are led by God's spirit. Both fast for 40 days. Both go into the wilderness to be tested and both are ministered to by God's messengers. Unfortunately, our Bibles have angels in Mark and messengers in Elijah's life. Those ravens are God's messengers. Now. So, do you think the angels that were serving him might have been ravens? I am positive that the angels that ministered to Jesus were the ones that were mentioned just before the comma. 
Because otherwise, why, not, why mention it at all? Say it. What's verse 13? Read it. And the angels. What angels? Where did the angels come from? Oh, well, God sent angels. No. He was with the wild animals, and the wild animals were the messengers that were ministering to him. You say, what do we have here? Is this Aesop's fables? No, it's not. It's exactly, you can understand this in light of Elijah. God sends the ravens to feed, to minister to, to provide for Elijah. Do you think God's not going to do anything less than that for his son? Of course he's with the wild animals, the birds, the ravens, the whatever, and the angels, the malachim. They're ministering to him. They're taking care of him. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that cool? So it, makes, so, no, it makes the movie that we just watched with the birds on the, on the ark make sense. I know. It would. That there would be birds as angels on the ark of the covenant. I, and personally, I think the seraphim and the cherubim look far more like animals than they do people. Yeah. When an angel comes and presents itself and the people go, and they go crazy screaming and ah, freaking out. And the angel says, don't be afraid. It looks like an eagle. It's a giant man eagle with these wings and these eyeballs and this beak. And it says, don't be afraid. And it's like, okay. You're a bird and you're talking to me. It's serious. And they fly and they ascend in flame. Guys, I'm telling you, when you start... When you start looking at the Bible and seeing the pictures that God gives us, it's like, it just blows open. It is so cool. We are supposed to understand Mark 1, 12 and 13, absolutely in light of Elijah the prophet. How do I know that for sure? These guys know because they had eighth grade Bible and I'll take them back to John chapter, or Mark chapter one, sorry, Mark chapter one, verses Six, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. Who's the only other person in the entire Bible that was dressed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist? Elijah. He's the only guy that's described like that. Elijah the prophet. Oh, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Why? Because he lived in the desert. That's where John lived. I mean, Elijah lived. And so God, See, Mark is trying to say, you see how Messiah is going to be like Elijah? And if Messiah is like Elijah, who are you supposed to be? I'm supposed to be like Elisha. Did Elisha do greater things than his master? I love when I answer questions. You guys think, oh my gosh, I don't know how to answer. Look at the numbers. Let the numbers do the speaking. He did. Did he raise the dead? Yes, he did. Did you ever hear Jesus say, the things that I do, you will do even greater things than I will do. You ever heard Jesus say that in John? My disciples, the, the, the works that you've seen me perform, my disciples will do even greater than I've done. You say, how could you do greater than Jesus? If you're Elisha and Elijah, you have to do greater. He doesn't mean more awesome. He means greater as in bigger. You'll do more of what I got to do. Not more spectacular, just greater. 28 is greater than 14. Have you done any miracles lately? You say, oh, gee, Mr. Dean. Has following Jesus radically and completely changed your life? Such as you have put your hand to the plow and not looked back. If your answer is not really, 
then let me ask you a question. Have you put your hand to the plow and look back? Do you have plan B, plan C? That's the problem with Western discipleship versus Eastern apprenticeship. Okay, this is really cool, guys. Elisha starts his ministry with two water miracles. The first one, the waters of the Jordan are parted. The second, water is changed in such a way that neither death nor miscarriage. Miscarriage will come from it. It's healed. How does Jesus start his ministry in the Gospel of John? What's the first miracle? See, we always say that, water into wine. There's one right before that, Brent. I know, this is what's so cool. This is Jewish. Jesus comes walking along and John says the equivalent of, dude, check him out. That is so the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus goes, what's up, cuz? Literally, my cousin, how you doing? And Jesus says, hey, do you think that, um, <laughs> do, you th- do you think that, uh, I meant to do that uh, do you think that uh, you could baptize me? And John says, are you kidding me? I don't need to be baptized. You, I need to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, let's just do this so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. What's the first water miracle that Jesus starts his life with? What's the water miracle? You say, oh, it's his baptism. No. When Jesus came up out of the water, immediately the heavens were ripped open. And the spirit of God was poured down upon. You say, well, that's not a water miracle you want to bet. If you're Hebrew, Genesis 1.1, and God's spirit hovered over the face of the deep. What are we talking about here? It's water. And then God created an expanse in the middle of the water. And he separated. It's in your Bible. You've never read it before. The waters above from the waters below. Why else would the sky be blue? Why else would it rain if there wasn't water up there? What do you think the water comes from when it rains, you numbskull? And we're like, well, we understand the precipitation process with clouds. And they're like, they're Hebrews. All they knew is God said, I'm going to separate the waters above from the waters below. Why is the sky blue? Well, that's a big ocean up there. Well, how come it's not pouring down on it? Because God created a firmament. He made it hard. It's after the flood. Or, and that's what happened with the flood. It broke the firmament. So when Jesus was baptized, as he came up out of the water, it says, and the heavens were ripped open. That's the verb in Greek. Torn open is what our Bible says. The heaven was torn open. The, heavens, the heavenly waters were parted. And God's spirit came down. So the first water miracle is the heavenly waters were parted, just like Elisha's parting of the water of the Jordan. Second miracle, Elisha heals the water. Where does Jesus go to perform his truly second but first miracle that John records? Water into wine. Capernaum. Capernaum. What's he doing? What's he attending? What does a wedding celebrate? The union of a man and a woman. And what does the union of a man and a woman produce? Child. Children. It's about procreation. It's about no miscarriage. It's about life. It's the same thing that Elisha does. He heals the water because the women were miscarrying and they were dying. So Jesus goes and celebrates and undoes that one and says, let's celebrate marriage that is about procreation and new life. Okay, cool. So um, at the end of Elisha's life, he dies, but through his death, 
another is raised from the dead. At the end of Jesus' life, he also dies. And through his death, everyone is raised from the dead. It's like, yes! Did he do greater? Yes! Are we going to do greater than Jesus? How many people did Jesus touch in his life to be able to know the truth? I don't know. Hundreds? Thousands? Well, how about if there are millions of Christians? How many people can they touch? Hundreds of millions? How many Christians, how many people have come back to life since Jesus died and rose from the dead? I, I don't even know. We've, we've lived for 2,000 years. Okay. Oh, that's enough for today. Got enough notes? If you would like to leave a voice message on the Anchor app or Spotify or any other platform you're listening on, you can go to the voice message portion of the app, press that or click the link and leave me a voice message that I can listen to. If you'd like to give me feedback, advice, have a question, anything else, just leave me a voice message on Anchor's app. You do have to log in and create a, an account, but if you'd like to do that, I would love to listen to your thoughts on this podcast. Thanks and God bless you.